Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. If you're applying to medical school in 2022 to start medical school in 2023, join me Wednesday or Thursday, Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, or Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern at premedworkshop.com. Go register today. I'm gonna show you how to tell your story in your application. Again, that's premedworkshop.com. If you are applying to medical school in 2022, be there or be square. The Premed Year, session number 432. Hello, and welcome to The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. And welcome to The Pre-Med Years. Thank you so much for taking your time to listen to me today. If this is your first time here, this one will be hopefully a good episode for you to set your expectations when you are applying to medical schools, specifically when you are looking at what schools to apply to. And specifically, even more specifically, what resource not to use when you are looking at schools to apply to. And I'm talking about US News and World Report. They come out with a yearly best medical schools rankings. And I'm here to tell you that it is 100% complete and utter baloney. It is a useless list created to sell subscriptions to a magazine and to get clicks on a website. There is nothing in the US News and World Reports that actually will tell you how good a medical school is for you or how well it will prepare you to be a good physician. And we're gonna break down the methodology because they publish the methodology of how U.S. News ranks medical schools. Before we jump into that, though, I want to talk about the MCAT Minute sponsored by Blueprint MCAT. If you are planning on taking the MCAT anytime around May, June, July, a normal time frame, we tell you it's best to take it March or April. You get your score back before you apply. That's best case scenario, but unfortunately, best case scenario doesn't work for everyone. And if you need to take it in June and July, because that's what works best, that's when you will be most prepared, take it then. But be careful. Make sure that you are also preparing your application and turning your application in as soon as possible, even before you take the MCAT. In most cases, you can submit your application without an MCAT score, submit it to one school, And that way, your application will be submitted to AMCAS or COMAS or TMDSAS. 
it will be verified by the application services and will go to the medical schools and they will wait for your MCAT score. Even if you already have an MCAT score, they will still wait for your new MCAT score. So if you have to take it a little bit later, most medical schools aren't looking at applications until mid-July, late July anyway. So it's okay if you have to. It's not ideal, but if you have to take it a little bit later, that is okay. And that's the MCAT Minute sponsored by Blueprint MCAT. If you're looking for a great alternative to an in-person MCAT class, which most people aren't offering anymore because of the pandemic, go check out Blueprint's new live online course with 16 amazingly structured classes that you can reschedule at any time because you know what? Life happens. You go and retake them. They're offered by two instructors, two MCAT instructors who have both scored 519 or plus on their MCAT, but not just smart, but they can teach as well because Blueprint is really good and making sure that all of their instructors know how to teach and aren't just good MCAT test takers. Go check them out at blueprintprep.com slash MCAT. Check out their new live online course. All right, so let's talk about the U.S. News and World Report methodology and why I'm telling you completely ignore it. A lot of pre-meds are wrapped up in the fact that there are tiers of medical schools and they will list and, and talk about, oh, I'm going to a top 20 medical school. Top 20 according to who? Well, US News and World Reports, obviously. But why? Why do students do this? Well, number one, students love to brag, right? We love to say how we are better than. I'm smarter than you because I went to a top 20 school and you're only going to a top 40 school. Right? We love to categorize. We love to make sure everything fits into pretty little buckets. It doesn't work for medical schools. Law schools works great for. Law schools, there's a lot, a lot, a lot of weight for top internships in the country to go to students at top law firms. It's not the same for medical school. You can be a faculty member at Harvard for your career, going to what pre-med students think is a low-tier medical school. You can be a DO and go beyond faculty at any prestigious university in this country. Because ultimately, your ability to be an amazing physician, a great specialist, whatever you choose to do, is predicated on you and you alone, not where you went to school. Medical school prepares you to be a good resident, Residency prepares you to be a great physician, and fellowship prepares you to be a great specialist. And at the end of the day, where you practice and what you do in your career has almost zero bearing of, of where you went to medical school. Zero, zero whatever. <laughs> it has zero, zero effect where you go to medical school. It's just, it just doesn't, it doesn't equate that way. I, I like to use the analogy all the time of professional football. Right? I love sports. I'm a sports guy. Professional football. If you go and look at a professional football team, we know that there are great college football teams out there. right? Students would love to. Football, football students, football players would love to go to University of Florida, right? Notre Dame, University of Texas, University of Michigan, Ohio State. Those are all great. We know they're amazing college football programs out there, Oklahoma, right? 
great college football programs. Go look at a professional football team roster. Who fills that roster? It's not all University of Oklahoma students, players. It's not all Notre Dame players. They're players from a spattering of Division I, Division II, and even Division Three teams. It's the individual that makes all the difference, and it's the same in medical school. So with that said, let's break down this U.S. News and World Report methodology. You would think that if there was a ranking list out there about the best medical schools in the country, that the classification of what is best would actually have something to do with the education that you're getting at that school, how well that school prepares you to do on the boards, how well that school prepares you to match in competitive specialties, maybe. I, I even don't like looking at that. But let's, let's assume that's how it looked at it. I would like that more than what the U.S. News and World Reports do. They don't look at quality of education at all. They don't. You would think they would, but they don't. Let's talk about what the U.S. News and World Reports actually looks at. If you go, and I'll have a link to to this in the show notes, but you can just Google U.S. News and World Reports Best Medical Schools Methodology. You can find that. They have quality assessment as the the main thing, weighted by 0.30 for the research medical school model and 0.40 for the primary care medical school model. First of all, what is a research medical school model and what is a primary primary care medical school model? Most students match into primary care period, because that's the most number of medical uh, residency uh, spots. So why why is one medical school listed as research? So right off the bat, I'm confused. Like why, why have these different scores? But quality assessment. So quality assessment, right? You read that and go, oh, okay, that's the quality of the medical school. So how how recent is their curriculum update? How good is their match list? How Good is there, are there passing rates for step one and step two? And what is the scores on step one and step two? That to me is quality, but quality for U.S. News and World Reports, you know what it is? It's a popularity contest. They have what's called the peer assessment score. And I'll read it here. It says, in fall of 2019, medical and osteopathic school deans, right off the bat, like why why separate? Osteopathic schools are medical schools. Medical and osteopathic school deans, deans of academic affairs, and heads of internal medicine or director of admissions were asked to rate programs on a scale of one, from one, marginal, to five, outstanding. Those individuals who did not know enough about a school to evaluate it were were fairly, (laughs) to evaluate it fairly were asked to mark, don't know. It's a popularity contest. Hey, Johnny, what do you think about Harvard? Oh, Harvard's amazing. Hey, Johnny, what do you think about uh, Podunk School University? Oh, yeah, no, I don't, I don't, I don't like them, right? Hey, what about this other school? I don't know, I don't know about, I don't know much about them. That's completely subjective baloney. Has nothing to do with the quality of a school, right? Respondents were asked to rate program quality for both research and primary care programs separately on a single survey instrument. 30 of those, 30% of those surveyed responded. Only 30%. Right, right off the bat, sur- surveys suck for data. If you don't know, 
You will learn that later on. Surveys are horrible for data. All right, so we want to keep going. All right, so that's that's quality assessment. Then there, there's another quality assessment. The, the other half of quality assessment is assessment score by residency directors. In the fall of 2019, as in previous years, residency program directors were also asked to rate programs using the same five-point scale on two separate survey instruments. One survey dealt with research and was sent to a sample of residency program directors in fields outside of primary care, including surgery, psychiatry, and radiology. Are, are you saying that there's no research in primary care? Like it, it, It's asinine how they separate these. The other survey involved primary care and was sent to residency directors designated by schools as mainly involved in the primary care fields of family medicine, pediatrics, and internal medicine. Survey recipients were asked to rate programs on a scale of one to five. Right? Residency program directors ranking medical schools. Residency program directors have no idea about medical schools other than the residents who come from those medical schools. So just because you like Johnny from University of Florida Medical School doesn't mean the University of Florida Medical School is a great medical school. You, you cannot evaluate because you like the residents that you get from that school. You cannot evaluate the quality of that school based on the medical students from that school. It's impossible. You can like that one person but that one person isn't the whole school. Do you know what kind of curriculum do they have? Do you know what kind of support for students that they have? Do you know what kind of mental health programs they have for students who are struggling? What kind of support they have for students who fail a class? Do you know what their, uh, and, and this is actually in the rankings, we'll talk about it later, what's their, their faculty to student ratio, which potentially has some impact, right? Important things that actually measure the quality of an education potentially. But no. It's a popularity contest. Point, there's 0 0.30 is, is the weight for that, for research medical schools. 0 0.40 is the weight for primary medical, primary care medical school models. Again, I don't know why they separate those. Popularity contest. Let's talk about research activity. Weighted 0 0.40 in the research medical school model only, not used in the primary care medical school ranking model. Again, what the heck is a primary care medical school ranking? Like, what, what is that model? I don't know. I didn't, I didn't bother to look because it just pissed me off thinking about how the U.S. News and World Report separates them. Oh, I went to a research intensive school because U.S. News says it's a, it's a research medical school model. It's baloney. And that, that is all based on NIH funding. But listen to this. Listen to this. So total NIH research activity and average NIH research activity per faculty member. It's basically the same number. One is divided by faculty members, one is not. Why do we need both of those? It's the same number. Anyway, it says this is measured by the total dollar amount of NIH research grants awarded to the medical school and its affiliated hospitals. A very big keyword there. And its affiliated hospitals averaged for 2018 and 2019. Why are affiliated hospitals included in this data? The affiliated hospital may be amazing at getting research. What does that have to do with the quality of my education at the medical school? Answer that for me. You may have a good answer. 
I don't think it has anything to do with the quality of the education that I'm going to get at the medical school. Zero. It, it may open up opportunities if there is research that I'm interested in, but I have to go seek out those opportunities. Right? I'm the one that has to go find those research opportunities and say that I'm interested in them and get involved and actually do something about it. That's me. It's not the school. So, NIH dollars has nothing to do with the quality of education at the school. In the primary care rate for primary care model, the medical school model, they have a primary care rate, which kind of replaces uh, on a points level this research model. And it talks about the percentage of a school's MD or DO graduates entering primary care residencies in the fields of family practice, pediatrics, and internal medicine. Averaged over 2017, 2018, 2019. Most medical students match into primary care because that's where most of the residency positions are. I did some quick math looking at the, the match rates. This is from 2020 for MD seniors. And there were a total of 34,266 positions offered. 54% of them were what is considered these primary care specialties, internal medicine, pediatrics, and family medicine. 54%. Most, <laughs> most spots go to primary care. So how can we say that if you have more people going into primary care, that makes you a better school? It doesn't. Most students go into primary care. A lot of students go into internal medicine so they can later subspecialize. It has zero to do with how good the medical school is. And let's talk about this kind of perverted selection, student selectivity in, the, in this methodology. Your median MCAT total score is ranked here. Your median undergraduate GPA is ranked here. If a school has a higher median MCAT score, and a higher median undergraduate GPA, they are considered better schools, according to US News and World Reports. Just because you did well on the, on the MCAT and undergrad, does that make the medical school good? No, it just perverts the system to, to, to make the deans of the medical school, not necessarily the admissions committees, but the deans and board of directors and all of the higher ups who, who get off on high, having higher US News and World Report rankings, it makes them put pressure on the admissions committees to say, hey, you are accepting dumb students who only have a 510. We want better students who have a 515 so that we can rank higher. And then what does that do? It perverts the whole system and continues to disadvantage those students who aren't doing well on the MCAT because they don't have the financial resources to put towards tutoring and courses and, and practice tests and QBanks and all this other stuff. They just have enough money to register for the exam and do the bare minimum uh, AMC material. It's a perverted system that continues to put pressure on schools to have higher MCAT, higher GPA, so that they can look better to US News and Reports. It has nothing to do with the quality of education that the school gives you, which is what this report, this best medical schools is supposedly like supposed to tell students, which is what students use to say, oh, I went to a top 20 school. 
Um, okay, doesn't mean anything. Acceptance rate is included here, right? Here's here's a potential. I'm not saying schools do this, but here there's a potential for them to do this. Here's a potential of why schools don't screen for secondary applications. If schools screened secondary applications, they potentially can say, hey, we had 10,000 verified applications and we only accepted 100, right? 100 students, we had 10,000 applications. Our acceptance rate is, is 1%, right? It's pretty, pretty low, right? If you have a low acceptance rate, you are ranked higher on US News and World Reports. So there is a perverted benefit for having schools not screen secondary applications so that they can be ranked higher in US News, US News and World Reports because they can say they have a low acceptance rate. And that's even outside of the financial gains that the school has because students are submitting secondary essays and paying money for those. The only thing on here, this last thing, the only thing on here that potentially affects the education that you receive at the school is what's listed as faculty resources. Point one weighting in the research medical school model, point one five rate uh, weighting, weighting in the primary care medical school model. It says faculty resources were measured as a ratio of full-time faculty to full-time MD or DO students in 2019. This year, for the second year in a row, based on recommendations from medical school deans who wanted to ensure accurate and standardized reporting of faculty, counts U.S. News asked medical schools to report the same total full-time medical school faculty that they re report to the LCME, which is the accreditation body for MD schools, not for, for DO schools, which is interesting. All right? The one thing. But then what's interesting here is it says... For the fourth consecutive year, U.S. News used a logarithmic transformation of the original value for the faculty-student ratio since it had a skewed distribution, which completely lowers the power of this, right? I'm not a big research or statistical person, but if you have to manipulate the data to make it look good, it's probably not good data to begin with. All of this data has nothing to do with how good of a medical school it is. Stop using this list. Stop looking at this list. Stop ranking your schools and picking schools based off of this list. And when students on Student Doctor Network and Reddit or the Pre-Med Hangout or any place else talk about U.S. News and World Reports, send them this podcast episode and tell them to educate themselves. It is a complete waste of time and it has zero, zero effect on your ability to be an amazing physician. I'm tired of students talking about this list. It pisses me off because it just continues to divide students. Stop it. That's all I gotta say. Have a great week. This is MedEd Media.